Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From the independent and independent voices, this is Double Take, a podcast in which we catch up with the writers of some of our favorite comment pieces. I'm your host, Kirsty Major. This week, we're joined by political columnist Abby Wilkinson, who will be reading and chatting about her piece, Labour could win the next general election, but only if we keep fighting just as hard. It's true that Labour didn't win the general election. It's the Conservatives who got the most seats and who might be able to form a government if they managed to pull off an immoral, desperate deal with the anti-LGBT rights, anti-abortion, terrorist-backed Democratic Unionist Party. The Tories jumped the gun and announced an arrangement yesterday, only for the DUP to immediately contradict them. Leader Arlene Foster is apparently meeting Theresa May to discuss matters on Tuesday. It makes sense that the extremely religious Protestant right-wing party might want to take a break from negotiations on Sunday, but it's hard to interpret an extra day's delay as anything other than a deliberate power play. Any formal alliance between the two parties also contravenes the terms of the Good Friday Agreement, which requires the UK government to be a neutral broker. Sinn Féin have already issued a statement making this point, and it seems Theresa May's planned course of action could represent this serious threat to stability in the region. Not that she has many other options. The one alternative to reach from majority would be a supply and confidence agreement with the Liberal Democrats, but it's not clear whether they'd actually agree to it. The party was punished by voters for going into coalition between 2010 and 2015. Supply and confidence might be subtly different, but there's a strong chance it would be interpreted as a betrayal. If they did agree to prop up a Conservative minority government, it would probably be on the promise of a second EU referendum, and making that vow would cause serious problems for the Tories. What I'm trying to say is, it's quite likely there's no way this can work. Either the Conservatives will find it impossible to strike any sort of deal whatsoever, or the arrangement they come up with will be so flimsy it rapidly falls apart. Another election could be on the cards within the next few months and the Tories will go into it looking broken, incompetent and in decline. Some of their strongest campaign lines about the necessity of strong and stable government to secure the best Brexit deal now sound like jokes. Labour might not have won the most seats this time, but its increase in vote share was still remarkable. A 9.6% swing means that Corbyn has done more to improve the fortunes of his party than any leader since Attlee. Many seats that were considered unwinnable for Labour have become marginals, with Conservative majorities in the hundreds or low thousands. Some Tories' strongholds have already been taken, including affluent Kensington and Canterbury, which has consistently returned Conservative MPs for over a century. A further swing of just 3.57% will see Labour winning an outright majority, taking 64 seats. What's more, the party's popularity only continues to rise, Servation, one of the polling companies that most accurately predicted the election result, currently has it on 45%, a full six points ahead of the Conservatives. Even more encouragingly, YouGov has Corbyn and May polling neck and neck when voters are asked which would make the best Prime Minister. No Labour leader has been level or ahead of a Conservative on this question since 2008. 
People mocking Labour supporters for celebrating a loss simply don't understand the shift that's occurred. Last year, many were worried their party would be destroyed by factional infighting. Now there's a very realistic prospect it could be in government within the year. It's important those of us on the left don't treat such a result as a foregone conclusion, though. This election result was possible because Labour dared to offer a bold, hopeful vision for the future. But it also depended on the hard work and dedication of an army of activists, spreading this positive message as most of the mainstream media attacked Corbyn and other senior Labour figures in every conceivable way. We can win next time, but only if we fight just as hard again. That was Abby Wilkinson reading her piece, Labour could win the next general election, but only if we keep fighting just as hard. A link to the original column can be found in the show notes. So it's a week on yep. from the election. Yep. I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm on a little bit of a post-election come down now. Yeah. When it first happened, I was just high on democracy and it was all too much. And now it's like, but uh, what, what now? Yeah, well, that's the thing. It, it was, um, for those of us on the left, it was obviously things felt possible. And, you know, we, we realise it's possible to get rid of this government potentially soon. Um, but now we have to do it and we've not done it today. Uh, and the fire in Kensington today really rams it home that, um, you know, because there's, there's a lot of questions to be asked about where cutting corners and privatisation and underfunded public services. Like, there's a lot of questions to be asked about how government policy made this kind of disaster more likely. Um, and we do have a fight ahead of us and it is going to be difficult and people are still suffering as a result of conservative policy. So it is difficult to kind of maintain the buzz. If you're right today and for listeners, this podcast will be released on Friday, but today is Wednesday yeah. and the, the tragic events at Grenfell House have just happened. Sorry, Tower. And it's it's, it's really sobering because, like you said, it was all the things that people we talked about during the campaign yep. have developed into this. Yeah. Well, you've got... Um... What's his, I've forgotten his surname, the Croydon MP who lost his Gavin seat. Barwell, who's yeah. now Chief of Staff. Yeah, so he was he was Housing Minister and he sat on a report into fire safety and tower blocks for years, apparently. Four years. Four years. Um, and it's just stuff like this. It's inexcusable. And then you, um, you hear about Conservatives arguing that we shouldn't have rules that say you have to have sprinklers because that's expensive for landlords and, you know, it would discourage people from building houses. And it's like, but like things that make stuff safe and, you know, reasonable to live in, they're not optional costs. Like we're talking about human beings' lives here. If it's not possible to build affordable houses and, and flats that are safe to live in, the whole system's broken. You can't just decide that, fine, we'll cut corners on safety. Um, I really think this is, yeah, it's, it's, a hor- it's horrible. It's it's, it's horrible to know how how preventable this stuff is and it, it's horrible to know how many more people are potentially still at risk and are still in this sort of accommodation and, and the fact the fact that the residents have been campaigning on this for so long and they just got ignored I think I, I saw the leader of the Res- residents association on TV he said like something like 90 percent or more of residents had signed had signed a petition um, and they were just they were just totally ignored. It's really chilling when you read back over those blogs and they're, and yes. they're like, a, a serious accident will happen unless you do something. For me, it's like the the 
just the tragic end point of years worth of um, talking about social policy in terms of numerical cost yeah you know we need to cut corners here um, and then actually let's talk about human costs yeah. because that's where we're at now well that's always been the thing about austerity like the cost you know the amount of money we spend on our public services and housing and all these things should be the amount of money it's necessary to spend to have you know there's not and so sometimes it's it, you have these weirdly counterproductive examples i remember dawn foster in the guardian wrote a um article that mentions a lady who'd been hit by the welfare cap, the household cap, so she couldn't quite afford to pay her rent and she ended up losing her house, which meant her children got taken into care while she was um, sleeping on her sister's sofa. And keeping her children in foster care cost far, far, far more money than it would have cost to just give her the money she needed to keep her family going. So they break up a family, cause all, you know, untold amounts of kind of stress and suffering for, for that mother and that family. and didn't even save any money. It, it's just it's just the completely the wrong approach to these sort of issues. It shouldn't be about trying to make the numbers as small as possible. It should be working out how much it actually costs to provide the necessary services and give people what they need and then figuring out, you know, how are you going to get the money? And if that does mean putting up taxes, particularly on higher earners, and that's what you've got to do. When you say it's about the, you know, finding the, the taxes to pay for it, um, and it ends up costing more to to kind of solve these issues than to create them. That's kind of the point, though, because with Osborne, it was like ideological. It was never of course. financial. You know, obviously, you do you do need to pay for things, but but this was a project aiming at shrinking the state, making us more like the US, um, limiting what the state does. Um, it's a dangerous ideology. Um, and I think it's really encouraging to see that people are, are rejecting it. Um, you know, public opinion, even before this election, had been turning against austerity for a while. H how could you look at what's happened today and think government pol housing policies kosher, the way that they like treat people in social housing is OK? I, I think for the people who don't yet realise the reality of what's going on in this country, this is really going to be a wake-up call. Returning to the Labour yeah, well, no. well, Labour, Labour is the own, you know, it's the viable opposition party. It's the party that represents, you know, it's the party that most working people voted for, younger people voted for. It's the party that has the backing of the trade unions. It's the party that's consistently advocated for, um, you know, housing standards to build more housing, um, for funded public services, and for all of these things. I, I think if there was an election tomorrow, Labour would win it and get a majority. I really do. I think, I mean, the Conservatives put out this manifesto that offered people very, very little. And their main selling point was, but we're strong and stable and we, you know, we, you can trust us. They can't possibly claim that now. So what have they got? I saw Jim Pickard at the um, Financial Times quoted a Tory MP who said um, this will be the last time we tell the public the truth because they realised that um, they put out a manifesto about what, you know, what their real plans were, which is basically, you're all going to suffer because we don't want to put taxes up on our mates. That's, that's the sort of conservative approach. And people didn't like it. 
but they can't they can't just rebrand themselves and pretend they're a completely different party with a completely different agenda and expect people to believe it i think people are ready for change now they really are that's one conversation going around that they'll become you know socialist light yeah, and they'll rebrand workers. themselves but it's just nonsense i doubt it personally yeah but are we are we supposed to believe that the people who have voted for all of these spending cuts and all of these things that got us into the situation have suddenly changed their mind of course they haven't conservative party spent about a million pounds on facebook ads and they got very little organic sharing yes. so momentum obviously not officially labor but a labor supporting group spent two thousand pounds got far far more reach because people wanted to share them with their friends they exactly. reached 12.7 million people in the last week and i think the key thing is um you know things have looked broken for a long time i think what's new is people can see a solution now people really believe things they can you know things can change it's, it's politics of hope basically exactly and that's why people shared it that's why it got the exactly. organic shares because yeah. it was a virtue signaling but be like something that you want to yeah. you want to share with your but friends you should want to signal that you should want to signal yeah. that i'm part of a positive movement trying to change the world and because they've just run such a negative campaign all of their ads were like a tax on corbyn and then and, and the Labour campaign was, no, we have policies that's going to help you and your family. I, I think the, the, the kind of like attack ads on Corbyn, I, I, I wonder about them as a tactic. Because, I mean, obviously, they didn't work very well. But I, I just think if you're like, this man is evil, this man is terrible. And then people see him on TV and they're like, well, he, he said he wants to like give me free education, build more houses and pay people a living wage. <laughs> it's like, like he sounds, actually. Yeah, he seems seems all right to me, you know. It just doesn't work. People 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 are ready for change. People think a better country and a better world is possible. And I really don't think anyone can stop this small C, also big small C, small M, also big M momentum. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Never has the term momentum seem so apt whenever I have conversations about the Labour Party. Yeah. I'm like, how do we... To borrow a phrase, keep the momentum going, yeah. <laughs> which leads me on to my next question, which is momentum and also just non-affiliated um, yeah. groups. I mean, for me, it was a lot of people who have been involved in grassroots politics from the student yeah. movement in 2010 onwards. You know, people from Sisters on Court, people from UK yep. on Court, all of a sudden coming together and doing their own little campaigns yep. as well. So I, I think what I'm wondering is how do we take those groups, momentum, and the Labour Party and like uh, CLPs, um, how do we democratise? Yeah, I think I think I think on? I think you know, there's people have certain ideas about democratising party decision making processes, moving more towards one member, one vote on various issues, which I think are interesting to explore. But I think in terms of just just from a sort of electoral campaign perspective it's been happening really well already a lot of a lot of groups that have always lobbied parties but never were necessarily affiliated with the Labour Party have seen you know they see this as like a really genuinely different sort of politics and it's so funny because Corbyn supporters have been mocked for the past two years for saying that sort of thing and they're vindicated they really are and isn't it in July, the 1st of July, all Momentum supporters need to be Labour Party members now? So yes. there's a 
sort of instant amalgamation yeah. of the two forces. Yeah, so that's just obviously that's just obviously Momentum's decision to become a properly affiliated organisation, like some organisations are and some aren't. I, I personally think it it makes sense. I think Momentum so clearly is working on behalf of the Labour Party. I mean, I know it was set up to advocate originally for Corbyn within the Labour Party, but Corbyn is the Labour Party now. Most, you know, of a handful, very small handful of exceptions, most previously sceptical or hostile MPs are on board now. And I think that's because some genuinely did have electability concerns and all the rest of it. Um, there's, there's been a couple who need to wind their neck in, in my opinion. But um, yeah, it's like, so, you know, this the Momentum is an organisation that I mean, Momentum really helped get people out canvassing. They had their they had their website, you know, my nearest marginal, and um, the phone so you could phone do phone banking yeah. from home. And what's the other one? Chatter, where you can text with yeah uh, people you met on the doorstep. They were I mean, they, they were, were they were great. brilliant. Yeah, it's like and this is the sort of stuff we should be doing. And I think maybe stuff's a little bit slow in HQ, and Momentum was free to do things a lot faster, you know, and to innovate in a really useful way. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if you're a Momentum supporter, it's not clear why you wouldn't want to be a Labour member at this point, because we're trying to secure a Labour government. And in first past the post, that clearly means getting as many Labour MPs as possible. And that means backing the Labour Party. I think basically Labour needs to be taking every seat seriously as a target now and campaigning everywhere. And it's Momentum that has the resources to really get the activists out and do that. And needs to carry on with the long-term organising with young people yeah. and engaging young people. Because like you say, there's 17-year-olds out there who were like chomping at the bit because they couldn't yep. vote this time, yeah. but they want to vote. And they've got mates and mates of mates. Yeah. And it's how you keep that going. Yeah. Well, Corbyn said he's in campaign mode, isn't he? Yes. He's doing a tour of 60 marginals. And it's what he does best. I love him right. when he's in campaign mode. Well, his supporters have always said that. Um, I always wanted Corbyn to win. I was... I've always been like broadly positive, but I didn't have the faith that some people, including my mum, had in his really? abilities. Your mum was more my mum, well, she's more she had more belief. I I was like I always supported, wanted Corbyn to do well, but I, I I was feeling pessimistic when the polls were at their worst for sure. But you know his 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 kind of hardcore supporters who who know him best always said um, he. His campaigning is what he does best. Wait until the public gets to see him. Wait until broadcasters have to obey neutrality rules and you'll see a rapid rise. And they, they were right. Um, they were absolutely right. I mean, the Conservatives didn't help themselves with their appalling manifesto. Theresa May is fairly wooden. But I think this wasn't... The Conservatives didn't just lose. Labour won. And Labour won because they had a great manifesto. They ran a great campaign. Corbyn's actually pretty likeable and a decent performer. And I think he's really... Um, I think he's really got better at dealing with the media. Campaigners were there to get the message out. Social media was there to get the message out. But the message was good. And that's a key thing. And it's a message people wanted to hear. Yeah, I think it's something that a lot of, a lot of politicians and journalists certainly didn't even realise so many people were waiting for. There's this, this, like, the Labour Party looked at Ed Miliband losing it and decided it was because he had some slightly left-wing policies. And it was actually, actually I think it was a lot more complex than that. Um, but, you know, that's why Corbyn won the leadership election, because they, they thought they couldn't defend um, against the welfare bill. They thought they couldn't, they couldn't be brave enough um, and a lot of members were like, well, what what are you for? Um, so it's really good to see the Labour Party 
realise it can fight from the left and it can offer a genuine alternative. It doesn't have to just try and chase the Conservatives wherever they go. I also wonder whether this time around there'll be a little bit of bandwagoning, which isn't a bad thing at all. Oh, of course. In the sense that, you know, people's rebuff when you're like, oh, I, you know, I support Labour. Yeah. They'd be like, oh, he's not very electable now, is yeah. he? Or those those economic policies sure. don't work. But now yeah. people are talking about, hey, maybe they're viable again because actually austerity, look where we are He's moved it. the Everton window, for sure. Um, and there was a time when there was... You know, like a, a lot of mainstream media was mocking towards Corbyn supporters, certainly dismissive of them. It was, it was presented as a ridiculous thing. You had people suggesting that supporting Corbyn was destroying the party. All of these things, and yeah, all of that's changed now. Um, I mean, yeah, Labour's latest cool to support Labour at the moment. I think. Well, thank you for joining us. Let's see what the next few months bring. Maybe there will be a general election. Yeah, fingers crossed. So. <laughs> if you like the show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, Acast, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. Double Take is produced by Helen Hoddenot, Hannah Fenn is the editor of Independent Voices. I'm Kirsty Major. See you next week. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.